Hello everyone and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee podcast. Kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and fix this next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi everyone. And welcome to today's podcast in which I'm joined by what I can safely say is a unique guest. Kate is my guest today and I've interviewed life coaches, business coaches, all different types of coaches. And one of the things that Kate um, is, is an IVF coach, you know, an independent fertility nurse consultant and IVF coach. And she's done that after having a 20-year career in the NHS here in the UK as a specialist nurse. And she's been an NHS manager in gynaecology uh, and other aspects of fertility, contraceptive health, etc. And eight years ago, she founded her private practice, which is called Your Fertility Journey. And now she's got a thriving practice with a team of nurses support staff and a job most importantly that she absolutely loves she's also passionate about helping brands companies and healthcare environments to achieve fertility excellence and she offers corporate consultancy and is currently working with top organizations advising on all aspects such as current challenges patient pathways brand and product promotion training and best practice to name but a few. And when Kate's not consulting, she's, <laughs> I'm always slightly worried when I say things like, she can be found indulging in her passion for podcasting as the co-host of the Fertility Podcast. So that's one to, to check out. And I'm always slightly nervous, Kate, when people say, oh, I do podcasting too, because it's like, oh yeah. You know, and it always puts you a little bit on the back foot, doesn't it, of how you're going to compare and what people will think. And I know we, we had a couple of technical issues as we were starting this. So welcome to today's podcast, my first and probably going to be my only IVF coach. Thanks for being so unique. Thank you so much for inviting me, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. But I think the audio tech issues were all my side. So (laughs) hopefully that's taken away the issues of you having to interview another podcaster. No, that's okay. That's great. And whereabouts are you based in the UK? Give us an idea of whereabouts you are. I'm in Stamford in South Lincolnshire. Right, so actually not that far from me, not too no, far not at all. all. No, not at all, very close. Great. So before we get into the into the coffee uh, and talk about what we're drinking today, why did you move from what seems quite a secure role in the NHS, being a manager, you know, helping people as you were? What was the frustration that moved you to wanting to set up your own practice? Just give us a little bit of insight into that that reason behind that. Mm. And there really was frustration. I felt frustrated that women and couples weren't given the really important advice and information to help move them forward on their fertility journey. And certainly in the UK, we're very quick to suggest IVF to couples, Mm. which in many circumstances is really necessary. But actually, there is a a, a proportion of couples and women that actually just need that really good top quality advice to help yeah. them and they, they need 
need to go through expensive, emotionally burdening IVF treatment. So that was the main driver. I've always wanted to be self-employed. My dad had his own business and I had aspirations to do the same. So there's a spark Um, in there then. Yeah, spark was definitely there. And then due to circumstances and with my husband's job, we were having to move area on a reasonably regular basis. And it seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. I, I want to share a very private example, if I can, of my experience with fertility. Yeah, because this is very, very personal. Listeners, I, I'm pretty sure you've never heard this before. You, you know that we've got no children, and that was because of uh, of infertility. And mm. I remember going to see a, a consultant when I was probably 24. My wife was 23. Uh, we found out subsequent to this that she'd gone through an early menopause. And one of the things the consultant, and this just goes to show how things change. I'm going back to when would this be now? Probably early 90s, so quite some time ago. And this consultant sat there and he said, I'm really sorry, Mrs. Meadows, but you're not going to, you know, there's no possibility of you having children. And and it was very blunt, just like that. You know, your results are coming, I'm sorry. And my wife and I both turned to him and said, well, you know, what about treatments? And IVF was probably not that well known there, not very successful, but certainly it was an option. So we said, you know, what about IVF treatment? And and this is how bad his his customer service was, his patient care was. He said, well, let me put it this way. Can we make women that are 80 year old pregnant? No. You have the womb of an 18 year old. So no, we can't make you pregnant. And that how that's how he concluded his consultation. Oh, that's just shocking. Comparing my wife. And you imagine, I mean, she's what well, she's gonna hate me for saying this now, but she's fifty three now. Mm. And she's the number of times she must bring that up more than half a dozen times a year. So that stayed with her, that statement has stayed with her yeah. about that fertility and that that issue of having that the womb of an eighty year old and can we really make an 80 year old pregnant? No, we can't. So there's no chance for you. And that was just how she was left hanging at such a young age. And then we found out afterwards that it was uh, a menopause that she'd gone through that had caused all the issues that she had. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's... I mean, that's shocking. It, it It's something, sadly, those types of communication, I do hear reasonably regularly. And when it comes to premature menopause, you know, it's it's so difficult and it, it, it's quite rare to have a premature menopause in your 20s, even rarer as teenager. Yeah. And there's so many factors that are so important to address and to have such a blunt consultation is just shocking. I've, the, I've, I'm the ashamed. Worst, the worst thing is, Kate. Yeah, you know, um, because we we were struggling to get through the NHS and struggling. Yeah, you know, we actually paid for that. It was an NHS consultant, of course, it was. You know, they do both, don't they? Mm-hmm. Private and NHS. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we paid one hundred and sixty pounds, I think it was then, which was a lot of money then. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, you know probably a quarter of my salary at the time. You know, to see this guy for him just to say that it was it was dreadful. So that's a little share of my experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm really really pleased to have you on here, and I hope you're gonna. Yeah, give us some some good things to take away from this podcast. So no pressure there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and if anybody has had a similar experience to what I've just mentioned or uh, any other experiences, please you know comment on this podcast. Let us know. Um, 
you know, what you've been going through as you've been listening to this as well. And perhaps we can share some of those things as well. So over, over to the coffee, Kate. Let's, let's lighten these up a little bit. Tell us a little okay. bit about the, the coffee that you're drinking and why. So mine is a filter coffee. Um, mm. I'm not into the little pods. I yeah. like a, if I'm going to make a coffee, I like to make a big jug of coffee yeah. so that I can go back and have more or that, as my husband has today, he's had some too. So for me, a pod doesn't get it. So it's a lovely coffee. Um, I can't actually remember where the coffee's from. It's nothing really, really special, but it's one that we really like, just that we can pick up from the supermarket. But I have to make a big jug. Yeah. And then it has to have hot milk. So there oh, you go. Right. Okay. Hot milk. Mm, interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's... It, Filter used to be my coffee of choice many years ago, and I used to spend a lot of time looking for filter machines. I used to uh, have a, a box at Donington Motorcycle and a motor racing circuit, and I used to have a very nice two-tier filter machine, which was even better because you've got two big jugs of coffee, which was great. Mm -hmm. But it seems to have become out of favour, doesn't it, filter machines? Yeah. you know. Um, but I still, when I go, we've got an OK Diner on the A1 near us, and when I go for breakfast there, I still love the fact that I can have as much coffee as I like and it's filter and they come out yeah. with the glass jug and they top up your your filter coffee and it's delicious I think it's mm. Dow Egbert's filter coffee that they have mm -hmm. used to anyway yeah I love filter mm. coffee and it's there isn't it you don't have to wait it's just there it's there and it stays warm for an hour or whatever but like you I've done loads of research on coffee machines to find a really good one and yeah. I think our first one was Cousinart which I really liked right. um, had two of them and then this one oh no I can't remember what it is that's rubbish for yeah. a podcast isn't it I can't remember what it is I'll go and check and let yeah. you know yeah I think mine's a, it's a stainless steel one that, uh, actually I haven't got it anymore I gave it to a, a local charity in Newark that wanted something to put on the bar so they could offer coffee for their getting okay. people in for a drink in the morning kind of thing and a sandwich uh, but I think mine was a, a like a Bravio, I want to say Bravio or something like that. But yeah, it was more of an industrial one. But great. And I can understand the hot milk as well, because if you're drinking filter, it does go cold a little yes. bit quicker. So you do need that yeah. hot milk to keep the temperature, don't you? Yeah, so absolutely. Have, have you got any favourite um, sort of coffee, any favourite beans, any anywhere you've been where you've had a particular variety that you like? I probably need to get become a bit more of a connoisseur on type of beans. I think my coffee of choice, if I'm out and about, is always going to be a latte. Yep. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to Scandinavia in Stamford, but they do oh, a real no. coffee and they have their um, sprinkles that they put on top, which isn't chocolate. It's cardamom and something else because they're a uh -huh. Swedish coffee shop yep. and that just does something amazing to the coffee. Yeah, see, I, if I have a, a latte or a cappuccino or something like that, if I ever go somewhere and, and that's all that's available, um, then I generally like cinnamon sprinkled on mine. Well, mm -hmm. you know, they always say chocolate, but I prefer something more spicy and, and cinnamon. Yeah, so similar to that, I think it's got some cinnamon and cardamom, so it's yeah, that almost yeah. spicy, lovely, yeah. warming taste. Yeah, there was a guest we had um, a couple of episodes ago, and they loved hot chocolates, and uh, they liked hot chocolate from Starbucks. Whether you like right. Starbucks or not is a matter of choice. Um, but they actually, uh, and it w wasn't in the UK, but they had it steaming fused with cinnamon. So you got mm -hmm. this 
bittersweet taste of the hot chocolate with the cinnamon as well and that just sat and i'm one day i'm going to go into our local starbucks and i want to ask them if they can do it because i just want to taste it but i don't know how technical they would be infusing cinnamon by steam into a into a hot chocolate who knows i might ask them who knows so you you've been going for for eight years and and well done i mean that is a, a a mammoth milestone you know having have lots of businesses over the years you know eight years is is a is a good term uh, and long may it continue, of course. Sounded like it was going to end then when I said that, didn't it? But um, <laughs> things have changed very much over the last couple of years in, in particular. And, you know, you've talked about the more focus on corporate and businesses. What's the latest or most significant thing that you've been working on or been fixing in your own business, Kate? I think in relation to the corporate side, 18 months ago, um, we decided that we really wanted to start looking at that more, mainly because patients were telling me that they were really struggling in the workplace and they felt the need to, for there to be an education within the corporate organisation, they wanted more support. And so I thought, right, this is absolutely an area that I need to look into. And so started working with oddly predominantly financial services and we've been so lucky we've worked with some top UK banks in supporting yeah. their well-being programs on fertility pregnancy loss menopause um, and other women's health aspects to do kind of educational employee webinars but also line manager training so that's been the most significant change in in the business over the last 18 months yeah. But I can honestly say, and I'm not just saying this because I've done this with you, but writing a business plan has been so significant in the business, having recently done that with yourself. Yeah. Because I felt that even though I knew the direction up here, I hadn't ever written it down. Yeah. And actually having those um, that guidance and knowing what I want to achieve over the next three months, six months and 12 months, one of which I've already achieved since hey, our conversation. Well yeah. <laughs> so I'm really pleased with that. But that that has been, that's consolidated all these business ideas, I guess, that I had in my mind and has been so yeah. important. Yeah, and, and it's it's right what you said then. I did an, another one of these uh, events last week and we talked about the two creations that very often we have a business plan in our mind. We know what it is we want to achieve in our heads. But we, we don't write it down and we don't find it easy to communicate it to other people. And this time I did a little bit of a test and I said, okay, I, I have a vision in my head of a house in the country that I would like to buy. I've got a vision in my head. It's out in the country. It's very rural uh, and I love being outdoors and I love you know uh, nature, etc. Can each of you, and there were nine people on the call, draw me the house that I'm thinking of? And of course, what I did, I sketched it out. And I said, I'm going to draw it. And I, and I drew it and I drew it exactly the same. And then I got them to hold their images of their houses up and my image of the house. And of course, it was completely different. Mm. Completely different. And it's really important, isn't it, for all of us to get our what's in our head, our, our blueprint out of our head and actually have it as a blueprint that people can follow. Otherwise, you know, we'd never have buildings. We'd never have tower scrapers if, if architects kept that blueprint in their heads. You've got to get it out, definitely. So I'm, I'm glad about that. Yeah. I'm intrigued about the corporate um, because I know for for many businesses, small, medium and, and large, 
talking about some of the things that you've mentioned there, fertility, menopause, uh, in a work environment, it's almost, you know, I, I hear that that's something you talk about outside of work. You don't talk about it in work. Are you seeing that there's a culture of change generally in the acceptance of that? Or is, are there still a lot of barriers to overcome, do you think? There still are a lot of barriers to overcome. It is beginning to change. There have been some high profile businesses like Mondo Bank, Kellogg's, uh, Channel 4 that are said that we've got fertility policies, we're going to support pregnancy loss in the workplace. So there's a definite sea of change, but there's still reticence to talk about it. Yeah. And But sadly, what that means for employees is that if it's not discussed, if the culture doesn't allow that, then that impacts on pension. And we know that there's something like 30 odd percent of women will either leave their jobs or reduce their hours based on their fertility struggle and the same with the menopause yeah so something does need to change we do need to change the culture it's all well and good having a fertility policy or a menopause policy mm-hmm. but unless you start opening up conversations and talking about this in the workplace and delivering high quality training so that when an employee discusses these really personal issues with their line manager that then the conversation isn't shut down which i sadly see a lot but that the conversation is welcomed and it's an open dialogue to support their employee that's so important yeah and i think some of some of the listeners might be thinking perhaps the same as 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 the thoughts are going through my head you know that i can understand how menopause can affect the workplace um and you know people within the workplace um, but the fertility side of it uh, and also the pregnancy loss because obviously that's that's devastating I've had a friend recently who, who has you know had gone through a couple of dreadful pregnancies um, and one of them in with twins that they had to carry one twin uh, yeah. that died very early on in the pregnancy all the way through uh, and then lost both of them right at the very end so you know, yeah. devastating loss and I think we can all imagine the, the impact that that would have somebody on the workplace and how the workplace can support them. I suppose the, the link that you can help us build here is the link of fertility. Because, you know, I, I understand it because, you know, we went through it and it affected my work as well. Mm. You know, um, yeah, because not just fertility, but then we decided to go through the adoption route, etc., which, you know, didn't end very well. And I've talked about that before. But... That seems to be a looser connection. I think that's something that people feel is more of a personal issue that's dealt with outside of work. How can the workplace cope with fertility? Are there any things that you can help us connect the dots up with that, Kate, please? Sorry, just explain that a bit more, Simon. Yeah, so so I think we can all see how menopause and how pregnancy loss affects people in the workplace and how people in the workplace should cope with it. But fertility is something that feels more disconnected from the workplace. So how can we bring the two and connect the two together a little bit more? So if you're considering a woman and a couple having fertility treatment, fertility treatment is a really significant impact on their life, not only their work, but their friendships, their relationships, their family, everything. And when it comes to the workplace, you're required to spend quite a lot of time out of the workplace during a a course of fertility treatment. And so a lot of women and men will 
perhaps not divulge the reason for their need for absence from their employer. So will they yeah. take annual leave? They'll take sick leave. Um, they may, like I said, decide to leave their job completely while they're navigating their fertility treatment. So that's why it's really important that, that organisations have an understanding of what's involved in fertility treatment and the emotional and physical impact on their employee, down to being able to make reasonable adjustments in the workplace. So, for example, is there somewhere where an individual can store their fertility medications because they have to be kept in the fridge? So is there somewhere that can be done? Uh, okay, yeah. Is there somewhere private they can go to inject themselves? They don't really want to be doing that in a toilet because infection control, it's not yeah. the best place to do that. So there's reasonable adjustments that can be made. So it's, it's an employer having an understanding of that. But by the time an individual has got to IVF treatment, they have gone through months, if not years, years of infertility so the impact of infertility on them by the time that they've got to that point and how that might impact as you mentioned on their ability to do their job because they are going through in a really difficult emotional time is that for the employer to have an understanding of that and perhaps be able to change different um workload work streams reduce time scales or whatever to be able to work better for yeah. both the individual and the organization yeah and i can see how some of the larger organizations uh, perhaps have the facilities to, to cope with yeah. that uh you know having separate places as you say i never even thought about fertility as being injections so yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that, in some workplaces that'd be quite scary even seeing people because they'd be suspicious of what these injections are for yeah. you know is it yeah. is it a health problem they should be concerned about like diabetes or something like Absolutely. that so yeah i can understand that yeah. what about those people that perhaps either are the the owners of the business the self-employed businesses the the, the smaller businesses because I can imagine that is really difficult as well for couples that perhaps are partners in a business that are going through this process. I can see quite a lot of disruption and I didn't really think about that disruption of treatment, etc. That must be immensely difficult to cope with as a small business or as a couple leading a business. It must be extremely difficult. Yeah, I think you're right. Because I think in a, in a large organisation, you've got the ability for other people perhaps to take on role um, for some certain responsibilities to be... Um, dished out to other people so it yeah. takes that pressure off but like you say in a small business that could be really hard because how do you juggle that when you needed to be in work you'll need to be doing your job Absolutely. but actually you're trying to create a family as well so i think that has unique challenges in itself for sure yeah yeah so you you've changed this this focus you've got your business plan you're giving us a bit of an idea of uh, what the difference the business plan has made what difference has it made to your business by having this focus on offering sort of consultancy and coaching to to the to the businesses and to the corporates? What difference has that made to you? I think the obvious is the income. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you know good. that that you know working with obviously large corporate organisations means that that income has improved, yeah. and as well as working with corporates on their wellbeing programs. We do quite a lot of work within the fertility industry, working with organizations that perhaps have um, maybe a fertility medical device, for example. So the work within the fertility industry is great as well. And with, with that, I bring my 
experience with of fertility and my reputation within the industry as well, okay. um, which you know I've built up over the last eight to ten years. So that, for for me personally, that ticks lots of boxes of, I guess, making me. I suppose for me, achievement is important um, yeah. and recognition of my 30 years of working within the field is important to me. So there's, as well as the income yeah. benefit, it's how I value myself, which is also really important. Yeah. And I think that can't be underestimated. Having self-worth and your own value is so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to ask you two, two tips to share. Okay, so we'll come to the main one in a moment of you know what you can share with the listeners, what lesson. But I want you to think about perhaps somebody listening to this who is either in business or they're in a workplace and they are either on that journey of struggling to find out about the issues with fertility as, as a journey we went on, or they're going through the IVF treatment or other alternative treatments for, for fertility. For somebody who's going through that process, who is in a workplace, whether it be their business or somebody else's business, if you could give them sort of one hashtag tip, one thing to, without question, make sure they do, what would you say that is? Speak to your manager or your HR department. Find out what is available to you. And if there is no support, become a champion within your workplace. And if you've got yeah. the energy, start trying to push change and a change in culture. Yeah. And I think that would almost put such a positive spin on it. Because I know, you know, from, from friends that have had fertility treatment in the past, it's a very roller coaster ride, isn't it? And there can be some great ups, but there can be some quite significant downs as well. So that I think being a champion is a great tip because that would give you another purpose to push this on as well, wouldn't it? Great. Absolutely. Great tip. Thank you. So if people want to reach out to you and we're going to put your website and facebook etc into the show notes so listeners please check out those show notes um but if you were to suggest where people reach out to you and how they can reach out to you what's the best way kate i'm really active on linkedin so i'm okay. kate davis on linkedin and it's davis d-a-v-i-e-s yeah. <laughs> um and also on instagram and on instagram i'm your fertility nurse and those are places that I'm the most active. Your fertility nurse. Great. Perfect. So if you could give listeners a tip, it could be a tip on fertility, it could be a tip on business, the, the transitions that you've had. But if you could give the listeners one tip or one lesson to take away from today that they can do something with, what would that be? I think I'll go back to my dad and the advice my dad gave to me not long before he died was okay. about being a, in business and he said to me never ever give up mm. and there have been times over the last eight ten years when i have felt like giving up when perhaps the income wasn't coming in um, perhaps i felt that i wasn't visible because i found that visibility is really important so yeah. perhaps when i felt i wasn't visible I felt like I was banging my head against a brick wall and I fa felt like giving up. I really have felt like giving up in, in the past. 
but I've kept on going and I've kept on going because my dad's words just came back to me is never give up even in the hardest days just keep going and now luckily I don't have so many of those thoughts there's not so many difficult days there's not so many days when I feel like giving up in fact I can't remember the last time I thought about giving up I might be thinking about retirement in the next 10 years um, but I'm certainly not thinking about giving up and and it's interesting what you said there luckily you know I'm sure all the listeners agree it's got nothing to do with luck yeah Mm. what what you've achieved is because of that mantra never give up you know that tenacity that consistent movement forward is is absolutely crucial and sometimes I think you might have been in the right place and seen the opportunity, but I think luck is yeah. actually got nothing to do with luck. It's about recognizing the opportunities in front of you and embracing them. Some people have the opportunities right in front of them and they walk by. That's not mm-hmm. because they were unlucky, it's because they didn't embrace the opportunity that was there. And I think you've done a, a great job of embracing all those opportunities, and that's a great mantra never give up. Definitely. So Final question then for you. If you're going to have your next coffee and you were to have it reading uh, a favourite book. Now, let's. I don't know if you read business books. Do you read business books? I do, yeah. Yep. Okay, so we'll go with a business book, being as though this is a business podcast. Um, we'd have gone with a fiction if you if you had one. But if you could no. sit, you know, take that coffee and be sat there reading or listening to your favourite book, what would that book be and by whom? I wish I could remember who it's by, but it's content times 10. And it's how you can reuse content more than just once. So if you're thinking about writing a blog, how can you then put that blog onto social media? What snippets can you use? How can you make it into graphics? Where else could you use it? What else can you do with it? Can you make some FAQs out of it to go on your website or whatever? And that is probably one of the the bulb, light bulb moments for me when I read yeah. that, thinking, well, I don't need to keep replicating content. I can produce one set of content and use it in multiple ways. Yeah, but uh, I can't remember the name of who wrote that. No, Content Times 10. We'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll, we'll research that, and I'll make sure Anna, who does a great job of the show notes, gets it in there in the show notes as well as a recommendation. And you're right, so many people get paralysed because they see this mountain of content that they've got to create. But very mm. often... If you can get seven pieces of content, you can get a year's worth of value out of that content. Absolutely. You know, just by, you know, simple, simple matrix. And you look at some of the world's best, actually, they only probably talk about four subject matters, but they talk about it in so many different ways. They just repurpose it over and over again. Because as you said earlier on, it sets you up as an expert in that area. Because when you talk about one thing all the time, you get renowned for it, don't you? You get you get to be an expert, yeah. and you get to be the go-to person for that. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, great, great book recommendation. Final part of that question: Where would you be if you could pick a dream location to be reading that book, drinking that coffee? Where would that dream location be? Well, that's easy because I'm going there in a few days' times. But the Maldives. The Maldives is that where you're heading? Is it? That's oh no! You just made us all very jealous. So when when this goes live, you'll probably be still in the Maldives. So, yeah, great. Anything else you'd like to share with listeners? You know, uh, I've asked you some some questions. Obviously, you've got your fertility podcast. Uh, yes. Where can people find that? Tell us a little bit more about that before we we break off. Yep. So the fertility podcast has been going for um, we're about 
eight years. It was started and is still run by my co-host, Natalie Silver, who's a broadcaster. Um, and she's brilliant because she knows how to produce a podcast like you. I don't. I just pitch up and as she says, I'm her expert. <laughs> yep. so, so I just ask some questions and it's dead easy. Um, but we've been working on it together for about three years now. And you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you would normally find your um, podcasts. And it was the first ever fertility podcast. So we're very proud of that. Wow. And our kind of whole ethos with the podcast is that we're very research based and we get top experts coming to talk to us and some great patient stories yeah fantastic great well listeners check out that uh, thank you so much for being a guest it's always a privilege to have a fellow podcaster on as well always makes me slightly nervous uh, but you've Don't. given us some great things to think about and our listeners i think you know never give up is a great mantra to to have and to take away from this podcast but i think for many people you if you're not being affected by fertility yourself the likelihood is you probably know somebody who is Absolutely. you might not even know that they are so whether you're somebody who is going through the process whether you're a workplace who needs to change the way you deal with the process of fertility and the treatment etc or whether you're just a friend that just needs to be somebody that can listen and be a, a support and a, and a shoulder to lean on uh, please go out there from this podcast and realize that this is a subject that we should be open about. We should be speaking to our managers about and we should be open enough and honest enough and not be afraid to talk about it. And certainly I know back in the day, it was something that sometimes you don't want to talk about it, but when you do and when it's right, we should be able to, shouldn't we? Absolutely. And given that one in seven will struggle with infertility and one in four with pregnancy loss, then absolutely within your organization or within your group of friends and family, someone will have experienced it, if not yeah. more than one person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Some great things to take away. Thanks so much for being a guest. It's been an absolute pleasure. And listeners, as always, please leave us a review. Please let us know what you thought about the content and let us know your stories of fertility, how perhaps you've been treated, good and bad, and how you're finding it in the workplace. And particularly if you're a business owner, tell us how difficult it is uh, to cope with something like this as a business owner as well. I know we've not talked too much about that, but that'd be a great thing to hear as well. And I look forward to having you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.